someone in my life who's very wise, I might say, commented to me recently on the deep currents of anxiety still very present this year. I get it. It's not like the constant underlying tension of 2020 suddenly disappeared with the, with the coming of 2021. We all know that. As she and I were talking, she said, yeah, people are still really grieving right now, which prompted me to revisit what I know about grief and more intimately, what you all have said to me, what I continue to see in your facial expressions, and what you have shared with me in confidence. Yes, just a couple days ago, during my early morning prayer time, it came home to me. This whole thing about grief came home to me, and I faced the intense grief that I have been struggling with the last several months. I want to share with you today a couple of glimpses from a major turning point in the life of Jesus, and it resulted in a major turning point in the lives of his disciples. This Sunday, if you're listening to this sermon, by the way, on on Sunday, uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, this Sunday is often referred to by the church as Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration Sunday, you could say this, you can say this. It's the threshold or it's the doorway into the season of Lent, which begins, by the way, on Wednesday, the 17th of February with an Ash Wednesday service. So come back to this podcast if you want to listen to that service. But our reading today, the main focus of our reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Again, It is about one of the major turning points in the life of Jesus and in the lives of his disciples. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, because it was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down the tree and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Listen, you and I will catch up with Zacchaeus in just a minute, but for now, exactly what do I mean by grief? What do I mean by this grief that I was talking about earlier in the the introductory words to this sermon? And why are we even talking about grief today? Although we all have experienced and continue to experience the genuine grief in our own ways, let let me remind you that the very crux, 
the very kernel, the foundation of what many of us regard as grief, is simply loss. Yeah, loss, L-O-S-S. Loss, loss of many things. Loss of our way of life. Loss of those whom we love. Loss of our friends, loss of our spouse, loss of our children, loss of our family members, loss of being able to get together, loss of life like like we want it to be, much more than what it used to be, but more like life like we want it to be. Loss of comfort, loss of convenience. For many, loss of plans and purpose. Loss of being around each other and so on and so on and so on. I mean, you could fill in the blank with all kinds of things. And possibly, even important for our conversation today, is what I'm calling loss of self-worth. Yes, anger, fear, anxiety, worry, loss, feelings of emptiness and loneliness are often just manifestations of the grief that you and I experience every day for many of us. And visually, kind of in my my own mind's eye, visually, grief often acts like this. Grief is kind of like a plastic wrap. It's kind of like saran wrap that's covering over the lens of of a zoom camera on your computer, where one's vision becomes clouded. One's vision becomes glazed over, murky, and blurred. Or if you're not a Zoomer, or if maybe you're not a computer-type person, grief is visually like always having dirty, smudged eyeglasses, even to the point where you've got water spots on your eyeglasses and you just can't get the spots off. Every time you're trying to look out, all you see is, is this dirt and these spots between you and what you're trying to see. Grief often acts kind of like that. Well, let's be honest and let's be authentic with each other, okay, please? It's true, very true. Most mortals that I know today are suffering from some type of grief. You know, it's been almost a year since we worshiped together in our church at Sanctuary downtown Yuma. We've been separated for the most part. Yeah, I know. Virtually, we're finding ways to get together. We're finding ways to get connected, Zooming, conference calling, and calling each other, and texting each other, and doing another Zoom meeting, and things like that. But it's not the same, is it? And it's taking its toll on a lot of people in many ways. Because, you know, the elbow bumping, and the air high-fiving, and the waving at one another, well, as we see see and look at each other on a screen. I know it's been good. And a lot of people have been talking about how really good that is, especially when we do Sunday communion. So please don't get me wrong here. But for whatever reason, our virtual ways of communicating doesn't seem to fully send a message to each other. Hey, I'm here for you. Okay. I love you. And I'm not going anywhere. Good grief. I know, right? Good grief. How can grief be good? Indeed, the Zacchaeus story is not necessarily about people who cannot relate to others anymore simply because their own grief is clouding their judgment. But this story certainly is about Jesus being there and walking alongside a guy most people hated and despised. In fact, this story often focuses on Zacchaeus 
A wee little man, a wee little man was he who made a huge effort to climb up a sycamore tree just so he could see Jesus. The story only, and allow me to put it this way, only in an offhanded way, so to speak, and well behind the scenes, known only to people who study the context of this overlooked story, is that Zacchaeus lived among people who would have celebrated had he fallen from the tree to a painful death, no doubt. The guy was a tax collector. The guy had defrauded people. I mean, that was his job to defraud people. The guy was no doubt employed by Rome to be the local treasury crook, and he no doubt had been doing a good job of it. But in the presence of Jesus, this powerful story is about relationships coming together in the midst of great obstacles. This this tax-collecting publican, this shady politician-type guy, had a major change of heart. And he opens the door to much more than just his physical home in Jericho. No, he opened his spiritual home to Jesus. And I find this event curiously placed just prior to Jesus taking his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain, the Bible says, where Jesus was transfigured before them, where Jesus visually, spiritually, and realistically is presented to his leadership team as the linchpin of God's plan to rescue and redeem humanity. Jesus is presented presented as the linchpin of God's plan of deliverance. Deliverance from all that kills, crushes, cramps, lies, strangles, blinds, and divides. Rescue from things like the intense grief that paralyzes so many people today. The story is about redemption from the powers that often stand in the way of people being able to reconcile their differences, one of which, and we're talking about it today, is the grief or the dimensions of grief that we all are still going through this year. Yeah, I know. I said it again, didn't I? Grief. Oh, good grief. Do you know that it's within our power to live together with good grief? Yes, grief can separate us easily by by clinging only to what isolates and divides us, by blocking our ability and desire to share another person's pain, or grief can be a good thing. Grief can be a good healing force that reminds us of who God is calling us to be. Grief can be a force that allows God to empower us to be healers, huggers, hopers rather than being people who shut each other out, rather than being people who remind one another that the glass is empty most of the time, and rather than, pe- rather than being people that effectively point out one another's faults and failures, especially during this time in our lives right now when we so badly need each other to be there no matter what. So how do we make our grief and how do we help each other make the, the, the grieving that we do share? How do we make it something good? How do we make grief something that brings us together? Wendy and I have been watching a series on Netflix, and it's called All-American. All-American. I call it the Spencer James story. Now, on the surface of this series, 
the thread running through this powerful series is football. Young Spencer James, black African-American teenager from Los Angeles, he's grown up in one of the L.A. hoods, where gangs rule the day and especially terrorize the night. Many of Spencer's best friends end up dead at the hands of a rival gang member. And simply because of his danger-ridden hood, simply because of his dangerous environment in the neighborhood in which he lives, it's easy to see Spencer someday becoming another statistic reported by the county coroner. But Spencer James is athletically by far the best of the best of the best, with the most promising college and professional football career before him. But he daily, and I mean it, daily, every day, he faces the struggles, tragedies, and challenges that not only happen to him, but happen to all the people around him. Things like this. I'm not going to say anything here that's going to surprise you. Prejudice, hatred, teens constantly on the brink of suicide, broken relationships, adultery, broken hearts, broken lives, untimely deaths, teen pregnancy, struggles of parenting, homosexuality, depression, rejection, bullying, gang wars, murder, intense fear, loss after loss after loss, and grief. Yeah, grief, all forms of grief. And what really binds this story together? What is it? The genuine, authentic, unwavering love that rescues, binds, heals, hugs, and holds people and families together in the middle of the very worst life has to offer. Obviously, this powerful series, All-American, is not about football. No, it's about genuine, authentic love and compassion and care for one another in the middle of the very worst life has to offer them. Because in the midst of so many things that crush and devastate certainly most people, Spencer James, the young man I just talked about, always chooses to walk beside those struggling around him, no matter who they are, and no matter how much they hurt and betray him personally, even if it means his dream of playing football has to, be, has to take a back seat. Spencer James chooses to compassionately walk beside those suffering from loss. Yes, All-American is a story of extreme loss, tragedy, problems that can destroy any glimmer of something good. Spencer, however, demonstrates time after time the power of love, honesty, loyalty, compassion, integrity and grace where joy ultimately does come in the morning. All-American is a story that demonstrates, in my mind, just how much you and I need each other. Let me say this again, because I want your attention here. All-American and Spencer James is actually an ordinary story that shows real people sharing real pain because of real-life issues. This powerful story, every episode of it, demonstrates just how much you and I need each other. So what's standing in the way of being there for each other right now? My friends, it's often grief. 
Grief is most often a slippery slope because grief is so very difficult to define. Grief is difficult to process and analyze, especially when the grief in question here is someone else's grief. Although very personal and ultimately productive, I think my grief is rarely like yours. My grief is mine, and your way of grieving might not make any sense to me at all. And for this reason, grief is also really tough on relationships because grieving is so very personal, making it even harder to be empathetic toward another person, making it even harder to recognize what someone else might be going through, and making it even more difficult to work together on challenges as a team, as a group, as a couple, as friends, as lovers, as a church family. Yeah. Even as a church family, a community of faith striving to stay connected at a time when so much separates us. Yes, it's much easier to define and pin down manifestations of someone's grief. Anger, anxiety, worry, loss, emptiness, fear, hopelessness, apathy. Grief quickly and easily has the power to to change bad to worse. But hear me loud and clear today. Grief also has the innate power to reshape and remold loss, emptiness, anxiety, fear, and loneliness, and death into unity, harmony, oneness, compassion, and new life. Finally, quote, bringing it back together, end quote, was supposed to be the sermon title this week. Getting things put back together was supposed to be the focus of this week's message, until, with a little help from my friends as the Beatles song goes, I realized that although getting it together is where we all want to be right now, and it's pretty obvious to me, because the two most listened to sermons of 2020 were, one, Life After Lockdown, and two, Turning the Page. Both sermons about turning our life around and moving ahead and leaving the pandemic world behind us. So it's clear to me that we cannot, none of us can wait for for things to improve so we can move on with our lives. We want things to get back together so that we can move forward and leave the pandemic life behind us. But together, yes, together, and also one-on-one in the trenches every day, I believe we must deal with a crucial obstacle before we can move on. And that is, my friends, the grief that lurks in the shadows of our daily lives. So how do we make our grief something good? How do we turn our grief into something that brings us together? The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's standing in the way of being there for each other? Nothing. Nothing because it's within our power to live together with good grief. Yes, grief can separate us easily by by clinging only to what isolates and divides, by blocking our ability and our desire to share one another another person's pain, 
Or it could be good grief. Grief can be good. Grief can be a good healing force that reminds us of who God is calling us to be. Grief can be the key to allowing ourselves to be so vulnerable in the presence of others. We see and feel the pain written all over their faces. Grief can be a good healing force that allows us to feel the palpable loss that someone else is experiencing. You know, I heard recently that as we genuinely give our grief to God and authentically share our grief with those around us, it becomes a, quote, passageway into heaven, end quote. And I will add here, it becomes good grief. Yes, grief can be good healing and and an active force that allows God to empower us to be healers, huggers, and hopers, rather than being people who shut each other out. Especially today, when we so badly need each other to be there, no matter what. Let's join together this week, tomorrow, this morning, this afternoon. Let's gather every day for good grief. Amen.